it has happened. Just letting you know. So, um, so if you, <laughs> not going to mention any names. Just look for somebody turning red right now. Um, we, we, we would love for you to do that, to help us out with that. It's just a great time. We'd encourage you know, our CNU students, you are not going to find anything on the campus to eat as good as the chili that you're going to eat here. And we encourage you to stay in fellowship and just have a great time. So uh, we'd love for you to help us out with that. Um, and, and just a number of these things we, we're, we feel we're winding up now uh, for Christmas Christmas time, we have a lot going on. We have a lot of activities that we're involved in. I mean, for us as people, we have a lot of activities that are involved in. We have a lot going on in the excitement of Christmas. But also here at the church, we're doing a lot over Christmas time. We're involved with uh, the Angel Tree program for children whose parents are incarcerated, getting them a Christmas present that otherwise they would not get. We're involved with the Arizona, the Navajo Reservation, a school there, a little town in a school that we've adopted. And every kid in that school is going to get a Christmas present because of us. And for many of them, that'll be the only Christmas present they get. All right? And there's going to be a Christmas party and a meal and, and a worship service for the, for the Navajos right there on the reservation. And so it's a, it's a huge thing, and, and you can give to that. And then, and then uh, our port ministry this year will be right around Christmas time as we minister to the homeless. And all of these things are they're just great things for us to demonstrate the love of Christ. And that's what this is all about. We really want to be involved in that. Okay, we are in a, a, a series on 1 John. And today I called it the foundation of truth. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. And I want to read those now, and you can follow along on your sheet. John says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see to it. See that you, excuse me, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So he's talking about some things here that are very key for us, and... and I'm going to come at it sometimes from a little bit of a different angle, but let me review what John has been telling us in 1 John chapter 2. First of all, he told us earlier on that we have a secure position in Christ. He told us that we have a power within us. That's the Holy Spirit who is in us, who is this power that we have to actually live this life because we can't do it on our own. We have to have a power. And then he told us that we have a relationship. He emphasized this relationship that we have with God. And, and that can become kind of a cliche in our days, you know, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And we don't really think about it, but it, it is a very key thought for us, this relationship. 
There is a love relationship between God and me, God and you. And then, and then last week, we talked about we shouldn't love the world. He emphasized this, do not love the world. And he talked about why? Because of what the world is. Don't love it. Because of who we are, we're not to love it. Because of what it costs us when we do love it, don't love it. Because of what it offers, what it offers brings nothing to us, leads us astray, don't love it. And because of how long it lasts, he says this world is going to end. And we brought up this concept, this idea, that we are to live in light of eternity. That what I'm doing now, I can think, how important is what I'm doing right now going to be in a million years? And that helps me determine how important it is. Is this very important? Is this a priority? Or is this not a priority? And that's something for us, all of us, we have to think through. We have to think about all of us in, in, in big things and in little things. In things that I do in my life, things that I, I just do flippantly and things that I do very... How important is this? All right, so in this passage... I want you to see something. I want you to see the situation that has caused John to write this, because this is a very in-your-face passage. So a little bit of historical background. We talked about this earlier in this series, but I want to go into this a little more. We're talking about some people. They're called Gnostics, all right? And, and, and we're not sure of everything about them, but we, they seem to have been kind of a mix of some of the Greco-Roman beliefs and, and some Eastern beliefs, and that's kind of a simplification, so don't be too hard on me. But just, just to make it simple, in, in Eastern thought, there's this idea that matter is an illusion. In, in, in a lot of the Greco-Roman thought, there was this idea that matter is evil. But see, both of them thought poorly of matter, you know, and, and I quoted Yoda talking in, in, because that has some very Eastern, not this, this matter, he says. It's the force that's important. And he de-emphasizes the physical. That's what's going on there. And either way, whether it's heavily Eastern or heavily from the Greco-Roman, either way leads to this idea that God could not have become a flesh and blood being. Very key there. God could not have become a flesh. and The idea that Jesus was a great guy but he was not God in the flesh. And that's what they were, that's the big thing they were talking about. And so uh, John is going to talk, and he's going to talk about it more. In 1 John 4, 2, it says, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then he says, and the ones that don't are not from God. See, this is a very key point John is making. Now, He's talking about people who are going against Christ. They're anti-Christ. There can be other things, other doctrinal issues, but the one they're facing is this whole idea of Jesus did not come. It, he's not God in the flesh. And so what they seem to believe is this. They seem to believe that Christ and Jesus are separate. You know, Christ was this divine being that descended upon Jesus at the baptism and then left him before the crucifixion. Because it would be ridiculous to think that God could die. Or even ridiculous to think that God could suffer or feel pain. That's ridiculous. And so they drew these boundaries and they said, okay, so Jesus was just a man. He was a great guy. And, and then the Christ came upon him and then left him. So they separated God and man. So Jesus was a good man. But he was not God. And John is fighting this because he's saying you're at the core of Christianity. And what you're saying, he's telling them, what they're teaching is not Christianity anymore. It's a whole new religion. 
Because the gospel tells us, no matter how hard we try, we can't earn righteousness without God. We cannot get up to him. He has to come down to us. And so we have the incarnation of Christ. And so dying, denying that Christ is the Son of God in the flesh is to believe a different religion. Now, you may be thinking, okay, Bob, Gnostics, never heard of them, not sure what the big deal is. I think maybe in Philosophy 101 the, the professor said something about it, but I didn't really pay attention. Why is this important? Here's why it's important, because it's still going on today. There are churches you can go to, and I don't like to, I'm not going to, you know, point out or pin, I don't like to get into that stuff, but there are churches you can go to where there will be people who will say, we don't believe in miracles. We don't believe in the incarnation. We don't believe in the virgin birth. We just believe Jesus was a great guy. He was a great moral teacher. He was, he was filled with God consciousness. That's what a guy told me one time. He had, he had the God consciousness, but he's not God. Now, they say they're Christians, but John is saying that's a different religion. That is not at all what the Word of God teaches. And so John's going to hammer two things here. There's more that we could go into, but I'm just going to pick two. First one is point one on your sheet, the importance of foundational truth. There is a foundational truth, and it is of foremost importance. And look at verses 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So now he's talking about these people, and he's saying they were with us for a while, and now they've left us. And he says they've gone to a new religion. They've got, and and he's, he, he's very harsh here. He says they are anti-Christs. They say they're Christians, but they don't belong to him. They denied that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They denied that First John 4, they denied that he came in the flesh. And so they can say they love God, but they're going against what the Bible says is true about Jesus Christ. And see, truth matters. This is really key for us. And this is, a, this is something that's going on all around us in, in our culture, in our society. Because today people like to think that what we believe doesn't matter. It's just if we live a moral and a good life. But here's the problem. How do you define good and moral? If someone says, I, it doesn't really matter you know, what, what everyone believes, just as long as we all you know, take care of one another and love each other, live good moral lives. Well, the problem is, how do you define good and moral? You can say it doesn't matter what we believe, but as soon as you use words like good and moral, you have to define them, and that is something that you believe. And so you're contradicting. Uh, it doesn't matter what we believe, just live a good moral life. What do you believe a good moral life is? Oh, I believe it, you know, don't hurt anybody, you can do, and you, okay, so that's what you believe, but beliefs don't matter. And so you've got this circle that could be start going on. Beliefs do matter, and how you define them are key. I read, uh, I had the privilege of hearing this guy a couple times and uh, knowing his family. His name is Don Richardson. He's a missionary who was in, uh, to a tribe, an unreached tribe in Asia, and he came upon this tribe, and he wrote a book about it. It's called Peace Child. It's a riveting book. He came upon this, tr this tribe where they honored treachery. To them, the greatest good 
was to have a stranger that they welcomed in and they made their friend and they, and they cultivated this relationship sometimes for months. And then one night they would invite this stranger to come to dinner and he was the meal. And that was considered good. Their definition of the highest thing you can do. So, and I remember asking him one time, Don, you were a stranger. And he goes, yeah, I found out quickly, white people were off limits to this tribe. Whew, they didn't like white meat, I don't know what the deal is. Okay, that's stupid. That's Low-hanging fruit. That, I talked about that last week. I talked about that last week. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. So he's translating the Word of God into their language, and he finally gets the New Testament done. He's reading them the New Testament, and he comes, they come to Judas betraying Jesus, and they all applauded. And they thought Judas was the hero of the story because he did the best thing. And then it's a, it's a very riveting story of how the gospel broke down walls. I saw, I mean, this was 50 years ago. I saw recently an article. 50 years on, that tribe has, has just permeated their area as missionaries going out and telling others. And the name of the book is Peace Child, about this peace child who finally came and broke that cycle. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, fascinating thing. But, but see, what we say is good, what we say is moral, is incredibly important. In parts of India, in some very rural parts, it still goes on. If a husband died, they would take the wife and put her on the funeral pyre as they burned the husband. They'd burn her alive. And they said, this is the right thing to do because she's supposed to serve him, and so now she's going to go serve him in the afterlife. Why should he go without uh, somebody serving him for a while while he waits for her to die? We'll just... And it was considered good and moral. You see, how we define good and moral is incredibly key. Female genital mutilation is considered good and moral in certain areas of the world. How we define it is key. And so, and, and lest we think, oh, all those other places. There are plenty of, plenty of things in our culture, in our society, that God says, this is not good, this is not moral, and our culture can celebrate as good and as moral, as the right thing to do. And the Bible says there are truths, there are core beliefs that matter, and what you believe is key, because you, you, you're going to live by that. And the Bible says there are core beliefs that are non-negotiable, non-negotiable, and we believe that strongly here. Uh, when we talk about membership for our, our, at our membership class, we talk about certain things. They're not negotiable. They're core beliefs. We make sure the things that Scripture says are core beliefs, those are the ones that we take as we're not pulling in all these crazy... There's a lot of things. Most of the Bible is filled with areas that we might call gray areas that we have to figure out before God. What, what, what kind of movies are you going to watch? What, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? Um, things you're going to be involved in. How are you going to drink? All those kind of things. That's between you and God. But there are core things. And this is one of them. Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. That's a core belief. It's a non-negotiable. If you tell me I don't believe that, but I'd still like to be a member of First Church Ministries, you've put me in the uncomfortable position of saying, no, I'm sorry, that's not negotiable. You have to believe that to be a member here. 
you're welcome to come. And I know this is not, there are people who come who don't believe everything we believe, who disagree with me on some very fundamental things, and that's fine. That's fine. But we have the core beliefs that are non-negotiable. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6 talks about that. When we, when we were in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, John begins to quote what is probably the oldest hymn ever written. Uh, John, Paul in Philippians quotes the oldest hymn ever written, talking about Jesus Christ came in the flesh, came as a man, came to die. All, th those are core beliefs. Now, I know that the criticism of that can be this. Wow, you're exclusive. You really exclude people. You talk about these non-negotiable truths. You tell people that if they don't believe this, they're not in. You're in, they're not in. You say that Jesus is the only way. You say that Jesus is the truth. Sounds like some sort of country club where they only let in the right kind of people. And when somebody says that, I say, yes, the gospel is exclusive. You are right. That is true. Because all truth is exclusive. Inherently, you can't get around that. You can see it in mathematics. Two plus two equals four. Well, we say, oh, look at all those other numbers that are excluded. What an elitist. Think of poor old seven's broken heart. You know, no. Certain things, truth is inherently this way. But think about this exclusive truth that the Bible teaches. The gospel teaches us that we all need Jesus. The gospel teaches us that we are all sinners. The gospel teaches us that we all need salvation in Christ. And he extends this gracious offer to all people. The best person, the worst person, and everyone in between. No favorites. All the way back in, in, in Leviticus, God pronounces this, I, am not gonna play, I do not play favorites with people. I treat you all the same. God is not a respecter of persons. Each and every person is invited to be reconciled to God. That's inclusive. It's open to everyone. We're not an exclusive club. We're a goofy club that lets everybody in. Sometimes we pay for that when we're that way. Sometimes it gets uncomfortable when we're that way. Sometimes we have unfortunate problems when we're that way. But we're going to live with that. Because he says it's for all. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible when God is involved. Those three little lines are like something we've had for years, you know, a mantra. Why? Because we believe it. We believe it. Yes, the gospel is exclusive, but it's, it's so inclusive. Everybody is welcome. Paul talks about this in Colossians 3.11. He's trying to emphasize this point. He says here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And he picks, he starts picking these opposites, you know, Gentile Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. Then he goes to the extreme. I, I'm telling you for the Colossians, the Colossians lived in an area near Galatia. In upper Galatia, way up there, was an area where the Scythians were. Now, they knew about barbarians. Barbarians were considered some of the worst. But Scythians were over the top. They, they, were, they were crazy people. We, we know some about when Scythians um, 
oftentimes went into battle. They, they, they would scream and yell like maniacs. They'd charge, and if, if they kill somebody, they'd smear blood on them. Sometimes they'd take a bite out of their flesh, and then they'd go for the next person. And so for civilized people, it was like, these people are insane. I mean, how do we deal with this? They don't fight right. You know, we're going to line up. They come running from all directions, and they scream like idiots. You know, and, and so Scythians were the worst thing that Paul could have thought of to, to say. And he says, Scythians are, Scythians are in it. They're in. And I can imagine some of those Colossians going, no, 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 no. You've gone one step too far. Not, not the Scythians. Yep, Scythians. He, and he says, slave or free. Total opposite. Slave or free. They're all in it's available for everyone. This is radical inclusion. No one is too far. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. A great illustration of this is the genealogy of Jesus. You know, we're getting towards Christmas time, and Matthew talks about the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And, and, and for Jews, for ancient people, the genealogy was, you, you want to know who I am? I'll tell you who I am. Here's my genealogy. See those people? That's my people. That's my family. That's who I am. So oftentimes we know from some of the genealogies we have, they, they were very selective. They only included the good people, you know? Because you learn to be selective in things where you're trying to tell someone who you are and impress them. Um, I had a friend one time, uh, he, he, uh, he was a kid that went to my youth group, and um, he is a Secret Service agent now. And when he was gonna go into the Secret Service, he, he talked to me. He said, they're going to come interview you. They're going to ask you all kinds of things. And, uh, and he said, you know, when I was a kid, he says, when I was younger, I, 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 I stole a lot. I stole a lot of things. And uh, he says, you know how kids are. And I'm like, eh. So you might not want to mention that. When they interview you and say, tell us a little about you. I was a kleptomaniac. But you know how kids are. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Might not want to do that. Might want to highlight the good stuff. You know, what were your grades? That kind of thing. And we're talking, and I said, y you've stopped that, though, right? I mean, that has ended, because they're going to interview me, too. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Okay. See, this is what a genealogy is. Here's who I am, and they give all the good people. But you read the genealogy of Matthew, it's not like that. Genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, it's not like that. Jesus starts listing people that aren't the good people. He starts listening to people that aren't supposed to be in genealogies. Because he's saying, you, know, you want to know me? These are my people. These are my people. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of them, they're my people. It's like, if he lists his genealogy, or if he says, these are my people, he starts saying, yeah, Abraham and Jacob and Rahab the harlot and John and Mary, the woman who got pregnant before she was married. And he would just keep going and going. And Adoniram Judson and Susan B. Anthony and Billy Graham and Rosa Parks and Bill Bright and Martin Luther King Jr. and Bob. These are my people. These are my people. And I want to tell you something. When he says your name and he, it's not like, because I was, you know, I kind of think, he's like, and, and then and Bill Bright and Martin Luther King Jr. And, Bob, Bob. and also, you know, he, no, he doesn't say it under his breath. 
He doesn't cough when he says it. He says it because he's proud of the fact that you and I are a part of his people. He says, Bob is one of my people. You want to know what I'm like? These are my people. And it's all kinds of people. And if you know him, if you follow him, your name is on that list. He doesn't whisper it like he's ashamed of it. So there's a foundational truth here. It is exclusive and it is inclusive at the same time. It, salvation is required, but it is open to all. And John is emphasizing the importance of this point. Second point on your sheet is the fight for foundational truth. Because it's a fight. You have to stand for things. Verses 21 to 23. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father. And he says something important there. Because for the Gnostics, they would say, we don't think this is true about Jesus, but we are all about the Father. And he's saying, no, no, they're together. You deny one, you're denying both. Because this is the Father's plan. The Father was all about this. And so there's a core truth. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The creator became a human, a weak human being. He rescued us. He came back from the grave. He gives us hope. To deny this is a lie. Very strong. He's saying, you're, you're lying when you deny this. A person, now my first thought is, you know, I, I've had friends who are not Christians. And they, and they don't believe this. And I, and I think, John, are they... I mean, I, when I'm, I'm wrestling with the text, so sometimes I talk to God, and sometimes I just talk to John. I don't know if he can hear me, but I talk to him anyways. And I say, John, dude, I don't think they're consciously lying. I think they really don't believe this. And I think what John is saying here is something that, that is, is key, because denying the truth means that in some way you know the truth and you're refusing to admit it. So denying the doctrine is to deny, is to, is to lie to yourself. And I think what happens is for many people, this is their life. They kind of, it's almost like they're repressing it. They're lying to themselves. And that's strong. So let me explain that. I want to take a moment to explain that. I love J.R.R. Tolkien. I love Lord of the Rings. But, but I love reading sometimes about J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and their lives. Not just what they wrote, but their actual lives and how they lived and what they thought, what they believed. And one of the things J.R.R. Tolkien talks about, about in writing stories, he says all good stories echo a greater story. And his point is, even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe in heaven and hell, even if you don't believe in miracles, you love to read about things that deal with that kind of stuff. And he says it's because it resonates at a deep level. Tolkien says oftentimes in, in great literature, there's a point where something turns or there's a catch or it's a, it's a sudden reveal or something like that. And he says you catch your breath and sometimes you're moved, even, even almost to the point of tears and your heart reacts and your soul responds. Why is that? Because there's truth in it. There's truth in it. And so today, in our day, good stories, good movies, art, music, oftentimes there's truth in it. Even if it's a person who's not a Christian, there's truth in it. And you see it, and you feel it, and it resonates with you. 
And Tolkien said all these old stories, he was talking about myths, uh, he was an expert on myths and Norse myths and Finnish myths and, 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 and some of the ones, you know, the, the gods that we're more familiar with. He says they all had some truth in them. They all pointed either forward to Christ or backward to Christ because they teach truth. And I started thinking about that and thinking about what he means by that. Take, for example, um, Beauty and the Beast. You know, she kisses him, and there's this transformation. Is that historically true? No. But it points to a reality. Why does it resonate with us? Because it points to a reality. You know, our mind doesn't want to believe it. We go to school. We learn there's no such thing as a meta-narrative. There's no such thing as universal truth. But our heart and our soul feels it because there's truth here. There is a love that can cut through all the prisons and dungeons of sin. Or Hercules. I have a picture of, this is an actual photograph of Hercules. There's a love that overcomes death. There is care, there's, there's times when character is more important than money. Or, or Sleeping Beauty. Here we go. Sleeping Beauty. Death is not the end. Or The Lion King. When the true king is in charge, everything is in harmony, there is shalom. And when the false king is in charge, there is no shalom. There's truth here. It's biblical truth. It points to something. All right, we can take those off. Yeah. Even in movies that... Okay, I'm a wimp. I've told you guys this. There, there are, there's a class of movies that I won't see. They're called horror movies. I can't. I can't. I'm too chicken. I'll have nightmares. They freak me out. Even, though, think about this. Even in horror movies, Freddy and Jason and ooh, Pennywise the Clown. Uh, see, yeah, I'm not putting them up there. I'm not putting them up there because it'll freak some of you out and kids will cry and it'll just be a terrible time. We'll ruin Halloween. These are reminders that there is evil out there and it is supernatural. I can't kill it. It's supernatural. What's happening? What's happening? These stories, these myths, they point to an underlying reality. There is eternity. There is moral order. There are absolutes. There is a heaven and hell. There is a God. There is supernatural going on here. And why does this stir us? Because our soul knows it's true. It resonates with us. We have been, you know, to put it in that language, we have been enslaved by the spell of sin. There is an evil sorcerer. There is a prince who loves us and comes to free us and kiss us and wake us from the dead. There is a beauty that can love us and free us from sin. My chains are gone. I've been set free, my God, my Savior. See, those stories, there's truth there. This is Tolkien's whole point. This is something C.S. Lewis is very interesting as they talked. C.S. Lewis talks about, he wrote about, in, 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 in one time as they were walking through the woods, he suddenly turned at Tolkien and said, are you saying then that all those stories, they point to Jesus, they point to the gospel story? 
and that the only difference is the gospel story is what really happened, and they're all echoes and reminders of what happened, pointing to it. And he said, that's it. And Lewis said, I can believe that. I can believe that. I can see that. And he says, that's when he became a Christian. So the claims of the gospel, the words of Jesus, are this awesome reality to which all the stories point. It is a truth that demands a response. So to, to deny that Jesus came to earth, to deny that God became man to free us, is to deny what deep inside your heart knows is true. And you are lying to yourself. I don't have a picture of it, but my fav- one of my favorite movies is the movie Hook with Robin Williams. And there's a great line in that movie. Um, Maggie Smith, uh, old Wendy. Wendy gotten very old. And she looks at Robin Williams, who has amnesia. And she says, Peter, all the stories are true. They're true. These stories, there's truth in them. There's truth in them. And they, and they touch us. You know, sometimes you watch a movie. You, you, I'm, you know, watching Sense and Sensibility with my wife and daughters. And, and finally, it's, it gets emotional, and I leave the room. I leave the room, and I go sit in the other room at my, at my laptop, and maybe I work on things, but I listen. I work on things, or I play World of Warcraft, or I do something. But, but what happens is, it gets me, and I start crying, because I'm a wimp. I understand that, because I'm a wimp. But why? Because it, echo, it touches me. There's truth there. There's truth there. All the stories are true, and your heart confirms it. And when you accept the truth, this truth sets you free. The chains fall off. Prison doors open. Even real-life events point to this reality. Even some of these feel-good stories that you come across maybe on the internet or on the news where people go out of their way to help others or people do things over and above for other people. Or, you know, I, I just, one of my favorites is, is, is a video of a, a kid that was adopted by the University of Nebraska football team. Oh, no, high school, high school in Nebraska. And, you know, last play of the season, games out of reach. They just wanted him to take the ball and take a knee so that he had one play in a game. And, and the opposing coach said, no, let him run for a touchdown. My boys won't touch him. And you see, the video is so touch. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> and they hand the ball to this boy, and he starts to go to a knee. And they're like, no, no, don't kneel. Go. And he starts going off. And people are falling all around him. And, he go, and you watch. You see both sidelines. All the players are running with him. You see the stands. You see people running out of the stands, torn to the field, screaming. And the kid scores a touchdown, and they put him on his shoulders, and the opposing team puts him on their shoulders, and everybody's screaming and yelling, and I'm watching this. The first time I watch it, I'm going to start. I start crying. Why? Why? Why does that touch me? Why does that resonate? Why does that video have eight bazillion views? Why? I'll tell you why. Because it, it, it touches on something that's true. When the king comes... There will be no bullying. When the king comes, no one will look down upon. We will all be equal in the eyes of Christ. We will all 
be considered people who are loved deeply by him. And so when we see something like that, it's a, it's a little picture of how it's supposed to be. But it isn't in this world. That's what movies do. That's what TV good can do. That's what literature can do. That's what music can do. It resonates because there's something true behind it. The truth is in it. The truth of what's coming. The truth of how things are supposed to be in Jesus Christ. Earlier in 1 John, John mentions this, this, uh, this power that is within us, the spirit. And as a Christian now, as the truth is resonant, as a Christian now, we have this power. Uh, look at verses 26 and uh, 27. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing, that's a key word, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So he brings up this thing. He says, the spirit leads us to truth. This is the spirit's job. And we have been given, we have been anointed with the Spirit. Much as Jesus was baptized by the Spirit when he was when he, when he, going through the, uh, at the very beginning of his ministry, there's this anointing that we get as Christians. And the Spirit of God then works in us to lead us to truth, to feel the truth, to understand the truth. See, you could walk out of here and go, hmm, that was kind of interesting, mildly entertaining. Or maybe that uh, kind of tickled my intellect a little bit. Or you can walk out of here and have the sense that something grabbed you. Sometimes maybe you walk out of here and have the sense that something's disturbing you. Something's encouraged you. Something's giving you hope. Something's convicted you. You may walk out of here at times and sense something here, there's something life-changing going on. What is that? That's the Spirit. That's the anointing of the Spirit leading you to truth. Saying, this is important. Wake up to this. Don't deny this. Allow this to work in you. Wrestle with this. Oftentimes, people come to me with different problems. They say, what should I do about this? What should I do about this? What should I do about this? And I don't know what you should do about those things. I don't really know all those things. But I do know this. The best thing to do is to wrestle with it, not ignore it. And that's what the Spirit leads you to do. The Spirit is working. When this anointing that we have it works. Maybe sometimes you're talking to someone and they tell you something and you think, I've never heard this. I'm not sure what even to say to this person, but it sounds off. What is that? That's the spirit saying, this is not truth. Avoid this. Because in Jesus Christ, we truly see reality and the spirit leads us to this truth and that truth changes us from the inside out. So what do we take away from this? Look at verse 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he promised us, eternal life. He's saying, this is truth that is foundational. Remain in it. Hang on to it. Don't let go. And he says, in this truth, there's a promise given, eternal life. Now, live life in light of that. Because what is coming is far greater than what's going on around us right now. We are part of this incredible story that God is creating. And we have 
this incredible privilege to be a part of it. All we need to do is allow the Spirit to work in our lives, to lead us to the truth, to apply the truth in our life. And as you do that, as you spend time in God's Word, the Spirit uses the power of the Word to change you. So then the key becomes, and I encourage you, find out what God is doing and get involved. Get involved. Don't sit idly by. Get involved in what the Spirit is doing. Now, in terms of, there's a million ways. But in terms of just here, if you're not involved in something, let me tell you something. And you're saying, hey, Bob, you know what? You're right. The Word, that's key. I need to study it more. 9 a.m. Sunday mornings, there's a study of the book of Hebrews that goes on here. I encourage you. Okay, it's already started. It's okay. You know, you're not going to walk in and think like, what are you doing here? No. Come. Get involved in the study of the Word because the Word changes us. The Spirit uses the Word. We have small groups. That still, if you haven't gotten involved in one but you would like to, see me. See Jose. Coming up, we have our Arizona, uh, th this Arizona trip. And you, you, may, you can't get involved. You can't go, but you, but you can be involved. You can be involved in this outreach to Navajos to show them the love of Christ. We have our daily breads on the back tables. You can take one free. We, we, we have all kinds of ways we want you to get involved. We, port is coming up. We want you to get involved in ministering to the homeliness. Angel trees coming up. I mean, just children who at least one of their parents is in prison. These are the kids that society writes off. And if nothing happens, they will end up in prison too. That's the statistics. We want to be a part of something happening. Prison Fellowship, started by Chuck Colson, ministers to those prisoners and to their families and to their children. They offer mentoring to the children. They offer summer camp experiences to the children. And they offer angel tree experiences where you go out and buy a present or two, not, not huge, not super expensive, but present that they want. Isn't that a great thing? You can buy a kid a present they actually want. I remember one time at Christmas giving our kids their presents. We had a big present for each kid. And for our daughter, Holly, you know, we said, oh, here it is. And she was like, ha ha. Thank you. Because she knew she didn't say thank you. I'd just take it back, right? But she said, thank you. And I knew right away, I didn't get what she wanted. I didn't get what she wanted. You, the, the kid picks the present, and, and then you get to give it to him. So I encourage you, find out what God is doing. Get involved. It doesn't have to be here. Be involved in something. Because then your life counts for more than just right here, right now. Because then you can go, what am I doing right now that will matter a million years from now? This is what I'm doing right now that will matter a million years from now. It will make a huge difference a million years from now. You give some money to this Arizona trip, and there will be children who will get presents who will hear the love of God in a way they've never heard it before, in a way they've never seen it before, through Bill and Grace Manning and their family that are living there with them now. And their lives will be changed. And their hearts will be changed. And, they, and, and many of them have and are going to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And a million years from now, you'll see them. Because what you did right now matters a million years from now. This is the idea of living in the light of eternity. Are you willing to live in light of eternity and not think that this is all there is? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that it pushes us. We thank you for your spirit, this anointing that grabs us, that shakes us, encourages us, gives us hope, but also gets in our face.
Lord, we need that. I pray that we would discipline ourselves to walk in the light and allow you to shine and point out the dark areas. Father, thank you that you have rescued us from the slavery of sin. And now we are free. We are free indeed. And so, Lord, we celebrate that, we thank you, and we praise you because you're a good God. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take an offering as they come forward. I just, if, if you're a guest here, please don't feel compelled to give. This is what our regular tenders and our members do as a part of their worship. We don't want you to feel pressured in any way. Thank you.